The CFB Winning Edge podcast is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. All of the projections we reference during the show are available to our patrons before we record each week. Tier 2 and Tier 3 supporters also receive exclusive access to our 2020 FBS team profiles, which include daily updated player ratings, depth charts, and point spread projections, plus our team and player stat projections database. Visit patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge to learn more. Hello and welcome back, everybody. It's College Football Winning Edge, the podcast edition. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. Follow me on the Twitter, at Bogman Sports. And I'm joined, as always, by the owner and proprietor of CFB Winning Edge, Nicholas Ian Allen. Follow him on the Twitter, at CFB Winning Edge, and Xavier Trish. Follow him on the Twitter, at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E, for all those wondering how to spell his last name. Nick, it was a strange weekend of college football, to say the least. We had... A lot of big upsets, uh, but the biggest one I think that we need to address right off the bat is Florida State not only winning a game, but beating a top five ranked team, uh, North Carolina, and making, you know, the score was 31-28, but they really dominated Sam Howell in this pa- passing offense, which was surprising, and they put up points themselves, two things they haven't been able to do at all this year until they played UNC. Yeah, that was the the biggest surprise as far as I was was concerned. Last week, towards the end of the show, we ran through some of the uh, games in which all of our projection models sort of line up. Those have been pretty good for us uh, all year. Last week, not so much. But uh, you know, for for the the first seven weeks or first six weeks, I should say, were were a really good selection for us. And I, I mentioned that I didn't really like it that that all three of our models agreed that Florida state would be able to cover. I, I just did not feel good about it at all, but they came out and, and, you know, really kind of set the tone early. I mean, it was 31 to seven at halftime. They, they looked great. They made some plays on defense, had, uh, you know, a, a, a pick six. They had uh, Jordan Travis, the uh, quarterback. It, it seems to have given a bit of a spark you know, as a runner, kind of getting things moving a little bit offensively. But, uh, you know, I, I I think that that first half was absolutely dominant. But North Carolina came back, you know, and, and had a chance to, to win this game. So oddly enough, sort of the way things played out statistically, I tried to find a, a good uh, post-game win expectancy number. And, and the best one I think I found uh, had Florida State winning this game of the time, that's according to uh, some new stat profiles that uh, Aggie Analytics has put up, which are are, uh, pretty good. Uh, Enjoying diving into those a little bit today. But, uh, you know, that that number actually even seemed a little bit high because when I went back or, or, you know, each week, each each Monday, I'm updating our team performance uh, numbers. And Florida State's team performance rating for 2020 actually went down a couple of percentage points, believe it or not, uh, after this game, which was probably a shock to most because, you know, you beat a a team top five in the AP poll, you know, huge win, first uh, win over an FBS opponent this year. But 
they they certainly did some good things, but I think it was also uh, in some ways, as a lot of things are, it's not always as, as good as it seems, but it also isn't always as bad as it seems. So I think even though North Carolina, this was a, a you know shocking loss for them, uh, it, it's not a season ender by any stretch either. But you know, looking big picture, absolutely, this was the most surprising result uh, of the weekend for me. Yeah, Xavier, I mean, I know this was the biggest surprise, but obviously some disappointment for you uh, with Georgia losing to Alabama. So uh, I know your weekend wasn't the greatest sports-wise, but uh, let's hear your opinion on the the Georgia and uh, Alabama. Which was more, I guess, which is more disappointing, the Braves losing or Georgia losing? Oh, oh, the Braves, easy. Um, (laughs) Us losing to Alabama has become like a – an anniversary type thing at this point. It's like, hey, we play Alabama this year. We could go ahead and tally a loss on the record. Um, no, uh, you know, the Alabama game for me was obviously a tale of two halves. Uh, but more than it, so than anything, it just showed the the lack of, I think, personally, the lack of trust that they had um, in the running game in the second half. And, uh, I mean, we'll get into it. But I just think that the offensive play calling in the second half of that game just didn't make any sense to me whatsoever. Uh, but uh, just kind of speaking on the UNC game, the UNC did everything possible to lose that ball game, And they still had an opportunity to win it, at, at, you know, at the death. And, and that's ridiculous uh, to see uh, a team that we have so highly rated and has played so well at times this year, looks so poor on the road. And I guess their first real road test this year. Um, but kudos to Mike Norvell. I, I kind of follow Florida State Twitter a little bit, and he's definitely back in their good graces after a week. <laughs> yeah, as he should be. I mean, this was the first time they looked like a Mike Norvell mm-hmm, coach team mm-hmm, mm-hmm. this year. <laughs> so uh, big, big, impressive win. Uh, for Florida State, of course. A uh, couple other games in the top 25 action here, guys. Uh, Louisiana lost to Coastal Carolina on Wednesday, 32-27. So kind of a surprise there. SMU uh, beat Tulane in overtime, 37-34 on Friday. Uh, then on uh, also on Friday, BYU routed Houston, 43-26. to uh, Cincinnati and Tulsa, we talked at length about that game, and it got postponed. <laughs> And then LSU in Florida, we knew was uh, getting postponed. Clemson beat Georgia Tech seventy-three to seven. So, how long, Nick? Did you say till uh, they're contending? <laughs> yeah, you, uh, <laughs> I did. I jumped the gun a little bit, and and, just, just and uh, I, I did not. I, I don't believe <laughs> I said that it would be this year. But no, you did maybe, not. Of maybe course. by the time uh, Jeff Sims and Jameer Gibbs are, are out of there, maybe maybe give them to uh, what what would that be? Twenty twenty two, maybe uh, twenty twenty three, if they stick around another year. Or so <laughs> yeah, they've got a little bit of time, but yeah, th- this game actually, as we record uh, Wednesday evening, is is uh, on replay on the ACC network. Two minutes Why? to go in the third. It's fifty nine to seven, and, and Clemson's already on their uh, fourth quarterback, I think. So, yeah, it, it was a dominant, dominant performance uh, by Clemson, and and oh, you know, Georgia Tech they've they've improved in some ways, uh, but uh, you know, obviously, a long way to go before they are competing uh, with Clemson, as I said that they may 
sometime this decade. And, and of course, we get what you were saying. They got to recruit, and they need some time to get their guys. I do need to be careful, perhaps. We, with- we we get it, you know, obviously, but we have to give you a little crap there too. Oh yeah, uh, oh yeah. Miami beat Pittsburgh thirty-one to nineteen. Uh, surprisingly crazy low-scoring affair between Notre Dame and Louisville, twelve to seven. Uh, Louisville or Notre Dame beats uh, Louisville. Then we had uh, Texas A&M beat Mississippi State 28 to 14. Marshall won 35 17 over Louisiana Tech. Obviously, Florida State over North Carolina. Vatech 40 to 14 over BC uh, and the Bama game. And then, uh, you know, Oklahoma State and Baylor also postponed. So uh, from those top 25 games, Nick, what, what are the ones that really uh, that really stuck with you this weekend? Uh, oddly enough, the the other than the Alabama Georgia game, it was a, a little bit of a sleepy uh, Saturday. It, it felt like, and and the Florida State North Carolina game, of course, ended up being really really close, but it was a blowout in the first half, and it, it sort of seemed over, and and kind of had to you know look back a little bit later that oh whoa actually North Carolina is coming back, and, and we had a great game, uh, you know non ranked opponents UCF uh gave up a, a big lead to Memphis uh there were you know Arkansas put on a, a great performance so there were certainly some some quality games but it felt like uh kind of a lot of blowouts a lot of games that were maybe not as interesting as the previous couple of weeks and then everything was leading up to that huge primetime matchup uh, between Alabama and Georgia, and, and that was a very exciting game, but then it kind of got away from Georgia a little bit in, in the second half. So, uh, you know, I feel like maybe, you know, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, I felt on, you know, the, the uh, Sunday after that I had learned quite a few things. I'm not sure I really learned a ton on Saturday. I mean, I, I think that um, uh, maybe the 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 biggest thing that stuck out was, or, or sort of the biggest question that I had coming in that I might have gotten an answer on was, okay, I think Georgia has the best defense in the country. And I think Alabama has the best offense in the country. And will Georgia actually be able to uh, sort of dictate the the pace and the tempo of the game? Will the defense be able to, uh, you know, sort of, uh, dictate how the game plays out. And I don't think that was the case. I I think that similarly to uh, the SEC championship last year against LSU, that was a question I had. I was, you know, really high on Georgia's defense. Obviously LSU came in with a historic offense. Alabama has a similar feel this year to me offensively. They're just clicking on all cylinders. So uh, it, it was, you know, if you're, if you are a Georgia fan or if you are a fan of, you know, defense and sort of how things are going in the college football world, maybe it was a, a bit of a disappointment to see that, you know, right now, uh, at least at the, the very top level, the elite offense versus the elite defense, the offense is still uh, sort of controlling things, still, you know, dictating how the game plays out. So I, I, I feel like maybe, you know, I, I picked up a couple of things there, but overall, oddly enough, I, I feel, you know, like uh, some questions I had just really weren't answered across the board uh, this weekend. Yeah, yeah, it was definitely, I think, like you said, a sleepy Saturday for sure. Xavier, what, if anything, stuck out to you this weekend in these games? Uh, so, first things first, 
Nick, we did it last year with Shea Patterson. I asked for <laughs> to get on Saturday. We've got to drop Derek Garantano. His numbers have to go down after this past weekend. Uh, man, what a performance. I mean, Kentucky, another big win, this time over a ranked opponent. Uh, that's back-to-back weeks that Kentucky has given us uh, something to cheer over and, and uh, have – have showed Nick that they're actually the football team he thought they could be. Uh, so that's first and foremost uh, that I took away from this weekend was it looks like Kentucky's starting to find themselves a little bit. Maybe they got some help from the fact that Tennessee's offense was so bad on Saturday and they're beginning to reel a little bit and they've got Alabama this week. So it doesn't look like it's going to get any better for them. Uh, but Kentucky had to do what they had to do offensively. I guess a pretty good Tennessee defense. Um, the other thing for me was in that Georgia Alabama game, really the defense seemed like, no, neither defense seemed like they could stop either offense. It really looked like who could keep the ball. Um, and that really was the difference in the game. You know, three turnovers to the one turnover for Alabama. Um, and, and it really looked like if Georgia could keep the ball, then they would have an opportunity to win the ball game. Uh, obviously, Stetson Bennett throws a pick in the red zone, then comes back on the following possession and throws another pick. That blows the game wide open for Alabama, and they run off from there. Uh, but I really thought that that, that game – really excites me for what could possibly be our SEC championship later on this year uh, because those two teams, I think, are so equally matched. I think right. I think it's going to be a chess game, especially in the SEC championship game after seeing one another. And depending on who's the quarterback for Georgia at that point, will it be JT Daniels or will it be Stetson Bennett on how Alabama comes into that game uh, if we have it later on this year? Yeah. For, oh, go ahead. Oh, no, go ahead. Please. Oh, and I was going to say, lastly, kudos to Texas A&M. They they have completely you know shut me up. I I told everybody to hit the panic button two weeks ago. They went off and beat Florida, and then last week got a uh, you know one of those wins that typically over the last couple of years under Jimbo they've really struggled to put a good win and then a win they're supposed to win back to back weeks. They typically kind of fall or labor around, and they're able to get it done this week. Kellen Mond once again looked poised and looked better at quarterback, and he's starting to really find some momentum. Uh, they're a team for me that. I know Alabama doesn't look like they're going to slip up at all, but they're one of those teams for me that are bona fide second tier or or, or, or right there underneath Alabama and Georgia uh, around the Florida uh, around the Florida and Auburn ranges for me. Hmm. Maybe not Auburn anymore after. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> after this yeah. past didn't yeah. look great. <laughs> That's what I was going to ask. Who are you more concerned about, Tennessee getting blown out by Kentucky here, or Auburn uh, dropping one to South Carolina, Nick? Ooh. It's a it's a good question. I mean, both were were really disappointing. The score obviously looks worse for Tennessee, and and Jared Garantano's play was you know worse on the whole than Bo Nix's, and and he is uh, apparently now uh, having a, a stiff competition for that job, which seems you know potentially warranted. Xavier wants uh, a, a couple of points knocked off of uh, Jared Garantano's. Uh, VGR plus player rating, which is certainly understandable, and and I try to avoid that when that's I can. That's the X but... drop. You, you can you that that's that's what you put in the X drop. Xavier recommended. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Uh, so you know it's it's uh, it's something I try not to do very much, but you know there there are times where sort of what you see has to override what the numbers say. And, and so uh, it's certainly, you know, possible that, that this year, as, as we go on, there might be some situations where a guy, you know, a player like Jared Garantano has played a lot of football. He came into Tennessee with a high rating uh, according to two, four, seven sports. So because of his 
experience because of his career production and because he was starting from a pretty high uh, rating to begin with, uh, just by default, he's going to come in with a, a player rating in the high 80s. And, and he has had some good games here or there that boosted that into the 90s. But, uh, you know, sometimes players take a step back. And, and so uh, sometimes we have to trust our eyes and override uh, the other systems that are in place. So it is something that I do uh, you know, I, I do take seriously and, and I have uh, become more comfortable with it over the last three years where sometimes it is important to, to say, okay, I, I just, you know, yes, we have this formula for developing player ratings, but, you know, some guys, especially in high profile spots like an SEC quarterback and, and a position that carries a, a heavy, heavy weight in that team's overall, you know, uh, team strength power rating, it's important to accurately, uh, you know, grade that player, accurately rate that player. And sometimes you just have to override uh, what the system says that that number should be. So it is, you know, it's, it's a, it's a joking thing. I know, you know, Xavier just thinks it's, it's fun. Uh, and, and, you know, he brings up a great point for this, for this guy, but it is something that, that I do think about a lot. And, and so, Jared Garantano might right now. I, I Tennessee is down and, and their quarterback rating is down because uh, his job is in jeopardy. So I actually right. slashed his uh, rating with the the number two guy on the depth chart. Uh, so that helps a little bit. That's a tool I can use to uh, knock Tennessee down without knocking a player down specifically. But sometimes you know it's it's important enough to to make a change for that player. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, Xavier, any any final takeaways from week seven? Anything else stand out to you here? Oh, uh, I have to give credit. I know he's been getting a bunch of credit on Twitter. J.C. Horn, his draft stock mm. has gone through the roof. Uh, he had an amazing game versus Seth Williams. Uh, definitely somebody who wasn't on my radar as a first-round draft pick, but I might need to change that after, after his performance uh, this week. I um, mean, I think lastly, you know, I, I – I know I crap on Georgia Tech a lot, and and that's just me being a homer, me being a Georgia fan. But but genuinely, Clemson looks really good. I I yeah. don't know. Oh, yeah. Right now, another team in the country who looks as complete as them. We might see that this weekend uh, with the Big Ten coming back, and I know we'll talk. We maybe talk about uh, Ohio State later. But man, uh, offensively, defensively, I mean. I feel a little sorry for Georgia Tech because they looked like they were working on plays that they were practicing midway through the third quarter to go up fifty nine to seven. I was like, "Come on, Trevor, sit down. You don't you don't need to do be doing this anymore, man. This is getting this cruel and unusual punishment mean anything to you guys? Like it was, they looked so complete offensively, and even without the guys like Justin Ross, who we thought was going to be big players coming into this year, they looked like they haven't missed a beat whatsoever. It could have been worse. <laughs> they, uh, I, you know, even before the the punter took over at quarterback it could have been worse because there was a drop on a potential touchdown on the first play of the game there was a, a terrible decision by trevor lawrence on an interception mm-hmm. and they lost a fumble and and so it was seven to seven you know with all that having already happened and then they just you know okay let's not play around anymore let's take you know and ended up being 73 to seven it could have been i mean it could have been 100 <laughs> yeah. oh i have to say this Notre Dame, I'm watching you because <laughs> you guys looked awful this weekend against a Louisville <laughs> defense 
who was as, you know, as strong as a wet piece of paper the first four weeks of college football. And for some how they stopped, <laughs> held you guys to 12 points at home. Uh, and where, where Ian Book had to do his best Michael Vick impression to give you guys the lead. Look, Notre Dame, I- I'm keeping tabs on you guys right now. <laughs> you don't play Clemson for another three weeks. So I, I'll kind of keep a side eye on you, but as of right now, <laughs> at number three spots looking a little iffy for me. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's not looking good there for sure. Uh, any anything else to pull away? I mean, Liberty got their first win against an ACC team here, uh, against Syracuse, um, Navy, and uh, East Carolina had a fun game to watch. South Alabama over Texas State. Uh, was there anything else that uh, caught your eye this weekend, Nick? Uh, well, I mean, the, the UCF disappointed me. They were somebody that, that mm. our numbers were really, really high on all off season. They were shaping up looking like a, a top 15 team nationally and, and clearly the best team uh, among G5 conferences. I mean, uh, Boise State is our, uh, came in as our second best team and they were ranked 30th and, and UCF is just, you know, lost two games that, that they really shouldn't have. And, and uh, in some ways, UCF is playing a lot like Oklahoma, where these are games that they should win. These are games where the offense is, uh, you know, performing at a very, very high level, but it's almost like they, they you know, take the foot off the gas pedal or, or just, you know, get complacent something or, or you know, just can't finish. And, and that was the case uh, against Memphis, who is a, a quality team, but, you know, playing shorthanded by and without Kenneth Gainwell all year. Uh, Demonte Coxie was not playing in this game and is not going to uh, be back for Memphis uh, this year, having declared for the NFL draft and, and opting out. So, you know, that was a, a, a big time disappointment that they've now already lost two games, um, you know, and, and Arkansas, they, we, we won't spend much time talking about them this year or excuse me, this week because they're off, but uh, they're two and two and the argument could be made. Their fans mm-hmm. are, are making mm-hmm. the argument that they should be, you know, they're, they're calling it, oh, we're three and one because of the, the referee yeah. Uh, yeah. debacle there at the end of the, the Auburn game. But uh, defensively, you know, Barry Odom, and, and he is getting a lot of credit uh, for the, the work that the Arkansas defense is, is doing. I mean, six interceptions against Ole Miss, uh, just incredible. Three of those, actually, I think four total uh, by uh, walk-ons <laughs> in, in the game. So uh, pretty, pretty incredible performance. Barry Odom's going to be a head coach next year, you would have to think, uh, again. So uh, exciting to see, you know, Good to see a team be able to bounce back and, and be competitive. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, UCF disappointing. Arkansas showing a lot of promise. Uh, a lot of people's, you know, uh, second favorite team maybe right now. They're, they're just sort of getting excited, fun to watch, uh, fun personalities there uh, with Sam Pittman and, and uh, some interesting, you know, good stories with uh, former walk-ons on defense. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, there certainly are, are things to take away. Uh, from last week, a little lower down, you know, the pecking order as well. All right. So how did we shape up for week seven? Last week was not great. (laughs) So uh, overall, uh, against the spread, we were uh, 11 and 16, which I, I, there were a couple of other uh, models that I follow that were also 11 and 16. So that made me feel a little bit better, but I I still want to be 
better than them. We were still doing decently well on totals, had a winning record there, uh, still have a winning record overall for the season. And, and our, uh, all three agree are still 10 games over 500 for the season, but it was by far our, our worst uh, worst performance for uh, that particular subset last week as well. We were four and nine on those. So that's that's not good. We've got to get those uh, corrected. Uh, one bright spot, there were three games where we believed that the wrong team was favored, according to the odds makers and, and uh, the market. And we were two and one in those games and uh, improved to eight and six in those games uh, with all outright upsets this year. So feel pretty good about that. On the money line, those are, are doing uh, pretty well for us, but uh, definitely some room to improve after last week. So hopefully we'll we'll get it done with the Big Ten and, and Mountain West on tap this week. All right. Well, let's dive into this weekend. Uh, let let you know what. Let's let Nick kick it off for us. Here. So, <laughs> All you know, right. Xavier's been first a couple times. I've been first a couple times. I don't think Nick <laughs> has gone first once yet. So, Nick, have your pick of the litter here. Which game do you want to go uh, deep diving on? All right, so the, the first one I'm going to bring up, and, and it's uh, a little, uh, you know, I mean, maybe it's maybe it's obvious, maybe it's it's uh, under the radar, I don't know, you guys tell me, but uh, a team that is top of mind for me this week uh, is Ohio State, and Ohio State is currently the number one team in our power ratings, and that is a little bit of a surprise to me, especially as, as great as Clemson has looked. Uh, Alabama has also been uh, spent some time, you know, during the offseason, the early season at number one. Those three have really kind of uh, shared that ranking for us just sort of as we update and change the weights on things and, and move, you know, away from uh, preseason numbers and 2019 numbers and, and start looking only at 2020. You know, oddly enough, Ohio State not having played has has sort of been able to creep up and, and take over that number one spot. They're playing Nebraska this week, which is a very, uh, you know, uh, intriguing matchup. Nebraska is a team that has been a little bit of a tease each of the last two years. You know, Scott Frost came in after just an incredible run at UCF, came back home, uh, brought a, a, a modern offense that we were very excited about brought in some really talented players to play right away. Guys like Adrian Martinez, you know, is a two-year starter already coming in to his third year. Wondell Robinson, one of my favorite players to watch in college football, uh, a guy that can do anything on the football field. He's going to play receiver almost exclusively, it sounds like, this year, but they do get him the ball in the, the running game. They get him involved on special teams. And, and uh, you know, we've expected Nebraska – two years ago they were the preseason – Big Ten West favorite, according to the media. Last year, everybody, you know, kind of said, okay, maybe maybe we jumped the gun a little bit, but expected them to compete, expected them to get to a bowl game, and, and they've been very disappointing each of the last two years. So, you know, how are they going to fare? How is that team uh, going to fare now that Adrian Martinez is a junior, now that a lot of these guys are a little bit more established? You know, on paper, it seems like they've got the ability to improve uh, a bit defensively, but Ohio State is arguably the best team in the country. Justin Fields, uh, you know, we've talked about you know, the Heisman race. It's, of course, been a, a topic of conversation. People are thinking, oh, is, is Trevor Lawrence, you know, running away with it? But we haven't actually seen Justin Fields yet. And, and you yeah. know, who knows? He, he could take his game uh, to a ne another level. 
Uh, he's played a lot less football than Trevor Lawrence to this to this date because he, he played hardly at all as a true freshman at Georgia. So I'm really excited to see Ohio State. I'm, I'm excited to see a lot of the new faces that they've got. Uh, two-headed running attack, rushing attack, Trey Sermon, the transfer from Oklahoma, Master Teague, who seems to be fully healthy, uh, coming off a, a, an Achilles injury. You know, Chris Olave going to be number one wideout now. Garrett Wilson, I think, is going to be uh, a, a big-time performer, a guy that's going to become uh, hopefully a household name as a sophomore. And then, you know, obviously they, they lose some big names defensively, a couple of, uh, for, you know, high, high first-rounders. Uh, but they've got so much talent. This is still uh, the, the most talented uh, overall team in the country, according to uh, our roster strength numbers. It's the number two uh, roster strength offensively and the number two uh, defensive roster strength. Put that together as the, you know, from top to bottom, the most talented uh, roster in the country. So, you know, it, it's, it's an intriguing matchup. It's not really one that people expect to be close. Uh, you know, the, the number right now is 26 and opened at 23 and a half and has jumped up almost to field goal. Our number is even bigger than that, believe it or not. So, uh, officially we're on Ohio state by 33. Uh, and our final score prediction is uh, 45 to 14. You know, the, the talent edge is a little bit closer, but it's still 18, to, to Ohio yeah. State. Uh, the stat uh, stats only model is closer, but it's still more than two touchdowns. So, you know, I I, I don't necessarily love <laughs> giving a, a team as talented as Nebraska, uh, you know, ha- have to, to lay 26, but our numbers love Ohio State. So uh, I think they could potentially be a, a really, really special team. I'm really excited uh, to watch them play this Saturday. I mean, this is going to be, you know, it's going to be fun to watch Justin Fields. It's going to be fun to see if Scott Frost can have Nebraska step up a little bit. I mean, we have big expectations from Adrian yeah. Martinez and Wondell Robinson Xavier. How do you see this one playing out? Because just right now, I'm not sure if Nick mentioned it or not. The The line is uh, 26 and the over under is 67 and a half in that game. Yeah, I, I don't – this line is ridiculous to me. I, I First game of the season, I know that they've had a, a bit of an offseason, but let's not get crazy here. I think we're a little bit uh, – Yeah, you always start different. the season with a cupcake, so. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> what's in your own conference, right? <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think we need to give Nebraska a little bit more of an opportunity here uh, to cover. I think that, you know – Adrian Martinez is a guy we keep talking about year in and year out. Is this going to be the year that he makes the next step? Is this going to be the year that he makes Nebraska a viable team to watch uh, week in and week out? And, that's, and I'm I'm going to ride the train one more year. I think that this is a guy who has all the talent in the world. He just has not had a consistent offensive line in front of him. Um, I think last year, or I think he's lost a lot of talent on the outside due to them opting out, due to them transferring. I think this is A.J. Martinez's year to make Nebraska more of a viable option to watch week in and week out again. Uh, do, do I think they're going to get anywhere close to winning this ballgame. Absolutely not. I think Ohio State is the best, you know, one of the best teams in the country, might be the best after watching them on Saturday. I just think the line of 26 and, and our prognostication of 33 might be a little out there. Um, you know, for me, I'd be much more comfortable saying Ohio State would win by three touchdowns. I don't even know the last time. Ohio State beat Nebraska by three or four by four touchdowns plus, uh, and uh, I, I would love to know that. When was the last time they played? Last year. <laughs> did they, did they so do last, it last year? 
Last year, uh, they smoked them last year. I forty-eight like. to seven. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, Nebraska, you're not making this easy for me. Anyways, uh, I, I, I'm gonna say I'm still gonna stick with my guns. I'm gonna say Nebraska is going to cover this game. Um, once again, I think first game of the season. I think we're gonna see a little bit less uh, continuity from Ohio State than we normally do from them uh, due to the rush season, due to the fact that they weren't even playing or going to play a month ago. Um, and I think that we have that. Nebraska will cover. I really like Ohio State, and I want to see more importantly what Justin Fields does this year with a younger receiving core. Uh, this will be, you know, the most the, the least senior leading receiving core he's had since being at Ohio State. And Chris Olave being the number one guy, I want to see how he operates as the number one receiver. It's really good when you can be the fast guy, the guy who runs all the go routes, and you take the top off the defense, and that's your job. It's a lot different when you have to be the guy who catches everything the nine-yard routes, the catches underneath, and you're the one who has to make the big plays on third down because you're the guy. I'm really looking forward to that connection as well. Yeah, that's going to be a very, very interesting game, but I, I'm going to stick with, uh, I, I think this is a Ohio State shellacking oh, of man, Nebraska. <laughs> I'm sorry. I mean, we saw we saw what happened last year. You, you, know, you even alluded to it here, Xavier, that there's not a lot of ramp-up time. Uh, even though they have more ramp-up time than any other team, it's still their protocols were uh, more stringent than anybody else. So just not enough uh, for them to, uh, for them to get going. So uh, and, uh, Xavier, you're up. What uh, game are you picking here? Yeah. So I I'm picking a game and I really want to see after last week's win, can they continue to work towards, you know, getting to a bowl game? And it's going to be Florida state at Louisville. I really like this game because I think both of both teams did what they wanted to do last week. In, in, in both respects. I think Florida State offensively this year has been abysmal. And I think last week they showed that they have talent, obviously putting up 31 points against North Carolina without Tamori and Terry shows to the talent that they have in and out of that ball club. I really like Jordan Travis. I think that's who Mike Norvell wanted to play from day one. I think he gave James Blackman a fair shot, but this is his guy. You know, he's a freshman. He's going to be with Norville for the for the duration of his contract at the bare minimum. And, and I really think that this is the guy Norvell wanted to play from day one. From Louisville's perspective, they played defense last week. Did it end in a win? Not necessarily, but once again, they did what they want. They got better at something that they've been terrible at all year. Louisville and defense did not go together. They're like oil and water. However, last week they showed that they could play defense against a Notre Dame team that has pretty much put everybody to the woodshed this year, week in and week out. So I'm really excited to see if Louisville can continue to play defense and if Florida State's offense was just really hyped because they were at home on prime time and it was a big game, or if this is something we can see a turn of. I'm really trying to find the second tier of ACC football, and this is really why I'm excited about this ball game because uh, I thought Georgia Tech was there. Nah. Uh, you know, I, I, I <laughs> thought Duke would be there at the beginning of the year. Not necessarily. Pitt. I don't even know there because Kenny Pickett now looks like he's going to be out for extended period of time. Can I find the second tier of ACC football to be excited about at 12 p.m. on a Saturday? This is a game I'm trying to figure it out with. Yeah, <laughs> this is going to be a good one. And the line right now on it is, and it's funny because it has dropped. It opened up at Louisville by nine. 61 and a half is the over, but it's dropped to Louisville by five. 61 and a half still the over, Nick. How do you see that game playing out? It's a, it's a very interesting game. I, uh, when I, you know, at, at late Saturday night after all the games, uh, while all the games are wrapping up, I run our, our first set of projections for the next season. And they don't include updated team performance ratings, which can 
cause some changes, especially early in the season. They, they do start to level out a little bit once we get, you know, six, seven, eight games in there. But, uh, you know, I, I was a little bit surprised when I put that out, uh, you know, early, early Sunday morning, and it had Louisville favored by about a touchdown. That that surprised me a little bit, and, and so I, I wasn't sure what I would see, you know, the later that day when Circa released their early lines and, and some of the earlier lines starting to come out. And I was, I was, I guess, a, a little bit pleased to see that Louisville was uh, favored by uh, that much, and, and you know, it, it made me think. You know, Florida State, there, there would be a lot of interest. Oh, they beat a top five team. Well, we talked last week about how North Carolina still was in our 20s, even though they were number five in the AP poll. Uh, I, I thought, okay, maybe people are starting to really come around. Florida State, uh, you know, they've turned the corner. People are going to get real excited. Uh, but, you know, Louisville has has fallen off. They're one and four. Yeah, they played better defensively against Notre Dame, but it was just kind of ugly. And, and you know, maybe things are going to start to – to just take a real downward turn like they did two years ago. So I was surprised when that number came out. I thought there might have been a little bit more uh, optimism uh, toward Florida State uh, built in, you know, for, for the public. I thought maybe they would uh, expect that, and that really didn't seem to be the case. So it, it's, a, it's an odd one because as much as our numbers uh, are skeptical of, of Florida State, they actually line up where when we posted this on Wednesday, and, and I think the lines bounced around a little bit. You mentioned that it's at, at five now, uh, but I see it at four and a half some places and, and things like that. But uh, when when we published this, it actually just barely, barely uh, fit into where all three uh, of our, our lines agreed. We, like last week against North Carolina, actually have Florida State as having an outright talent edge. If we took away home field advantage, if we took away uh, any coaching metrics or stats, Florida State, we would expect to win this game by seven, just based on talent alone. If we look at our stats only model, which we, we always mention, you know, it's historically based, uh, the team the last five years, the coaching staff the last five years, uh, and, you know, offensive coordinators, defensive coordinators, things like that. That model shows Florida State as about a two-point favorite. So uh, the the overall number, because we do incorporate a, a pretty poor you know team performance rating from Florida State, they are coming in even with last week's uh, big big win. They rank 69th overall in team performance. Uh, they rank 57th on offense, and they rank 72nd out of 77 teams on defense, which uh, based on the you know amount of talent that they've got, especially on the defensive side of the ball, is a bit shocking, honestly. But uh, so we, we throw that throw that into the mix and, and that helps get Louisville over uh, you know over the top in our official projection, but it's at 4.92. So I, I really didn't want to to be on Florida State again, uh, similar to last week against North Carolina. It happened to work out uh, last week, so hopefully it will this time. But uh, we have a, a you know a hidden talent advantage with Florida State having the more talented roster. Uh, Malik Cunningham is a, a bit banged up. He went to the sideline uh, last week. I, I you know we'll have to watch and see if he is good to go. He might you know I have him listed as uh, questionable uh, this week, so you know we'll take that into account as well. But I don't I don't 
absolutely love it, but we are on Florida State to at least cover here. And our final score projection is Louisville 32 and Florida State 28. All right. So for my game, I want to pick, uh, I just, this one is perplexing me. Oklahoma state hosting Iowa state. The line is, uh, three and a half on this game and the over is 52, but Oklahoma state, they're ranked six right now. They haven't really played the hardest of schedules. I mean, they, uh, beat Tulsa 16 and seven. We know Tulsa is very improved. Uh, so it was a nice win. Uh, WVU, they beat 27 to 13. They beat down Kansas 47 to seven. Their game last week was of course postponed at Baylor. Uh, and they haven't had Sanders yet. So, uh, or not much. I, I, I can't remember if he's played or not, but I know it's not much. Iowa state has had a much harder road in front of them. Obviously very disappointing loss to, uh, Louisiana week one, 31 to 14, but they've beat TCU, they beat Oklahoma, and they beat down Texas Tech and held them to only 15 points. So I don't know. I feel like maybe Iowa State should be favored in this game. But how do you see this one playing out, Nick? Uh, So all all three of our projections actually do have Oklahoma State favored. Uh, They they don't all line up to to think that they will cover, but we do think that Oklahoma State is – rightly favored and and actually if our talent edges took home field advantage into account then it would probably uh just be be just enough to have them favored in that game or it'd be very very close that'd be about three uh and a quarter on that one so uh you know our our stats only model actually gives a, a pretty big edge to uh oklahoma state here i have them favored by more than a touchdown uh, and in our official model, it's it's a bit tighter because uh, though Ohio, uh, Iowa State is not you know a top twenty five recruiter, they really rely on uh, some guys who are, are very very productive at some high profile positions that carry a lot of weight. Brock Purdy is a maximum one hundred rated player. Brees Hall has been you know, the, the MVP of the offense for sure. He's up uh, at over a 90 rating this year after picking up four production points. Receiver is a situation where, you know, they've had some injuries there, haven't really found a go-to guy. But, you know, from the tight end position, it's it's arguably the best tight end uh, collection in the country with Charlie Kohler being one of the, uh, probably one of the top five tight ends uh, and, and his ratings a 93. So that helps boost the receiving cores rating a, a bit overall. So offensively, we, we think that Iowa state is, is really, really talented, a top 20 uh, in our roster strength ratings. They're actually 18th and they're top 20 defensively because they've had, again, a lot of experience, a lot of production. Guys like Jaquan Bailey is a 100-rated player. Mike Rose at linebacker, 98. Orion Vance linebacker, 94. Uh, Greg Ellsworth, the all-Big 12 safety, 95. So they've got some some top-end guys. And and very similar to Oklahoma State in that regard, you know, they've got a ton of of elite talent, but maybe the depth is a, a tiny bit of an issue. So for Oklahoma State, of course, we know guys like Chuba Hubbard. We know Tylen Wallace offensively. Spencer Sanders, you mentioned, has, has missed a lot of time because of an ankle injury. And he's been a little you know, out of sight, out of mind, because Oklahoma State hasn't played in a while. Or, or you know, they had the uh, – yeah, they've, they've been off for two weeks. They haven't played since October 3rd, and that was against Kansas. So not a ton of people uh, paying attention there. 
It sounds like Sanders is healthy. The last I heard early this week, uh, Mike Gundy said that he and Shane Illingworth, the true freshman, were splitting reps in practice. He made it seem like maybe Illing, you know, Illingworth would uh, have an opportunity to hold on to this job, even though Spencer Sanders only, you know, gave it away because he was injured. So, you know, we'll, we'll see how that shakes out. I, I would be a bit surprised if Sanders is fully healthy if he's not the guy that that they go with, but uh, they have been able to build a little bit of depth, at least at that position, getting the true freshman some playing time. And, and Oklahoma State has a very good linebacking core. They have a very uh, experienced secondary, and, and we've seen you know how this team has improved defensively. They they haven't played a very tough schedule. Tulsa, you know, uh, played them tough, but but not a great team overall. West Virginia has, you know, shown some improvement, but still, especially from a talent standpoint, not a, a, a top team. And then Kansas. So it's a little bit hard to tell maybe if, if, if they truly deserve this. But Oklahoma State, you know, based on the performance of the last couple of weeks where other teams' defenses have taken a hit, moved up to that number one spot in, in our defensive team performance rating. So that's a, a little bit of a surprise, and there's a, a little bit of concern because we don't put a, a lot of weight on strength of schedule in those numbers. But, uh, you know, this is a, a quality defense, so this should be a very evenly matched game. Uh, I personally, I, I think, don't have a, a great read on it because Oklahoma State – hasn't been what I expected them to be, sort of a defense first team. They haven't been at full strength and they haven't played, you know, a top quality opponent to really get a gauge of, of how good they are, especially on defense. Iowa State has been tested a lot more and, and they've been exposed more, but I, I feel like I have a little bit better feel for, okay, yeah, Brock Purdy struggled, but I think he's going to you know, get it together. I, I think somebody's going to emerge as a receiver. I think this is a team that maybe won't win the Big 12, but is capable of beating anyone in the Big 12. So, you know, personally, I don't I don't have a great read on this game. Our number uh, officially is is Oklahoma State uh, at six. So that that's, a, you know, a, a big enough gap to where our number at least thinks, okay, Oklahoma State should win this game and, and you know, deservedly is, is uh, favored here. I, I think that, you know, I, I might be a little bit more comfortable if it was closer to three, three and a half, the, the line uh, officially, is, as you mentioned. But, you know, the, the week sort of just, uh, or at least I do, go, go with what the numbers tell us. And, and they're saying Oklahoma State 30, Iowa State 24 on this one. Uh, Xavier, I heard an audible yes when I uh, picked this <laughs> game from you. So obviously you're looking forward to this one. How do you see this one playing out? Yeah, for me, these are the two saviors of the Big 12 going at it. I mean, these are the only two teams left that have a viable say in whether or not the Big 12 will have a team in the playoff. Uh, <laughs> 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 um, on one hand, you've got Oklahoma State who has not played anybody. I mean, they, they played Kansas last. It's Kansas. Yeah. I mean, you know. Uh, but they do get Spencer Sanders back. It looks like he's going to play. Uh, he, they said he's set for a return uh, in a 247 article that I, I just was looking at. Um, so it looks like Spencer Sanders will be back and, and 100% ready to go. 
They've had two weeks to prepare for Iowa State, and I think that is what's going to give them an upper hand in this matchup. Um, I really think that the their game getting canceled last week allowed them to switch right over to Iowa State immediately, and it's allowed them to prepare for them maybe more so than what Iowa State has had having to play a game last week already. Um, however, Oklahoma State, this is this begins kind of this their season starts for me this week. Uh, this week they play Iowa State, uh, then they get Texas the week after, then they get at Kansas State at Oklahoma. Those four ga- these four games really will make or break their season for them. Um, you know, obviously coming into the coming into this three and zero, they're going to look to stay undefeated. But this is really where their season starts. Iowa State's going to be a tough out. It's going to be an ugly game. Um, I think that Oklahoma State has shown that they can win ugly. So for me, that does give me a little bit more confidence um, in the way that they were able to beat Tulsa at the beginning of the year and, and, you know, do it with their defense. As Nick has said, you know, Oklahoma State and defense, not necessarily something that coincides with each other over the past couple of years, but something that they've been able to lean on this year. So if the offense does get clicking, you can almost assume that now they can play their kind of brand of football where the offense can take off and the defense can do what they need to do. From an Iowa State perspective, this they go as far as Brees Hall and Brock Purdy can take them. Uh, Brock Purdy has shown over the last couple of weeks that he has been better. Um, he had a really poor start to the season, but he started to uptick a little bit. And that's where this offense gets scary because we know how good Brees Hall can be. Um, you know, last week, I'm sorry. Yeah, last week, 32 for 43, 302 yards, which is the most he's thrown for all year. Two touchdowns, zero INTs, which is what's his best game of the year, period. Um, and I really like like the uptick that he's going towards. He looks like the guy that we all thought he would be to start the season off. And Brees Hall is a monster. Uh, this guy is a if it wasn't for the fact that the NFL has moved away from using running backs wholeheartedly, he'd be a first round draft pick in my eyes. I, I really like his ability to run the football. Charlie Kolar is obviously their best outside talent. And I would like to see what Oklahoma state does against him in the passing game. Will they put Kobe Harvey peel on him or will they let a linebacker sit underneath? Uh, that's going to be a fun matchup to watch as well. I like Iowa state to cover. I like Oklahoma state to win. This is going to be a really, really fun matchup. Nick said it last week. If you like defense last week, last week wasn't your thing. If you like it this week, this is your game. I think this is your game to watch if you enjoy defense. It's going to be a close one. I've got Oklahoma State by three. I think that it's going to come down to a fourth quarter where a game-winning field goal might be what breaks the deadlock of these two teams. Maybe 23-20 is somewhere I think in the range of. All right. That's going to be a fun one for sure. Uh, Nick, you're up for a second game. What do you got? Uh, well, I, I think that one that we probably need to discuss is is pretty much the the primetime uh, matchup of the week. Two ranked opponents, season opener, oddly enough, but you know, two two uh, uh, teams with relatively high expectations coming in. Both, of course, have uh, some questions as well, but Michigan going to Minnesota and, and, you know, Minnesota is a team that I think is a, uh, you know, for some folks, maybe a trendy big 10 West title contender this year. Uh, a lot of people are really high on Wisconsin. We of course, you know, talked about uh, Nebraska being uh, hopefully improved. Iowa is always someone that we have to consider, but, you know, Minnesota uh, was a, a big time, team last year 11 wins uh beat auburn in the the bowl game uh put up some 
really incredible passing numbers. I, I was just uh, scrolling through the, the PFF uh, grades from last year and, and their passing offense. They were one of four teams nationally to, to have a uh, grade of 90 or better. Uh, as far as passing offense goes, Tanner Morgan took a huge, huge step forward. And, you know, they, they did lose Tyler Johnson, of course, but uh, able to get Rashad Bateman back, even though he uh, had previously opted out and declared for the draft, was able to, to make it so that he can come back. Chris Altman-Bell is, is going to be a quality number two option for them uh, there as, as well. So, you know, offensively, I, I don't think Minnesota is going to take a, a big step back. Muhammad Ibrahim, you know, was a thousand yard rusher two years ago. He took a little bit of a backseat to a pair of seniors last year and, and was banged up a little bit. But, you know, I expect him to, to be back in the mix. And, and then they've got uh, some freshmen that will be really excited to see as well. Some redshirt freshmen uh, probably compete for carries in the, the backfield. And then some true freshmen uh, hopefully will be getting in the mix in the receiving core. You know, Daniel Jackson, really highly rated coming out of high school, almost a, a 90 rating. Uh, according to 247 Sports, Jonathan Mann, Douglas uh, Emilian were, were both, you know, four-star, uh, high three-star type guys. So uh, a lot of talent. P.J. Fleck has, has really increased the talent level there at Minnesota. But, you know, defensively, they've got a ton of questions. This is one of the most inexperienced defenses in the Big Ten. Uh, they lost an All-American uh, at safety in Antoine Winfield. They lost, uh, you know, two other guys who, who were drafted, Carter Coughlin, a seventh rounder, and then Kamal Martin, the linebacker, a fifth rounder. Excuse me, three three other guys. Chris Williamson was a seventh rounder as well. So, uh, you know, that that's a lot of, of talent lost from a defense and, and uh, you know, not – much as far as experience coming back. One started returning on the defensive line, three uh, in the secondary. So, you know, this is a young team. Are, are they going to be able to uh, sort of plug those holes defensively? Has the long offseason helped get those guys up to speed or has the lack of actual, you know, practice reps or game reps uh, make them, you know, make them even more susceptible. I think that's something I'm looking for, uh, looking toward for for all Big Ten teams, for all you know, Pac-12. When we get there, is what is this extended layoff? You know, is that different than the layoff we've seen with the SEC? Is that different than the lack of practice time or, or you know, all of those things that we saw in the first couple of weeks when G5 conferences were back in action? So uh, I, I've got some concerns for for uh, Minnesota, especially defensively. Michigan, you know, it's it's almost in some ways the opposite. I mean, they, of course, always uh, are putting NFL talent out on the field, but they lost uh, five guys who were, were drafted off of last year's defense, but they lost even more offensively. They lost four draft picks from the offensive line. The only guy coming back who, who really has any starting experience of, of length is a, a sophomore right tackle, Jalen Mayfield, who spent some time away from the team because he had declared for the NFL draft and, and then actually decided to, to come back and was able to rejoin the team. But Nico Collins, you know, he, he uh, declared and, and then left. And then also Ambry Thomas, the, the cornerback, uh, declared and, and will not be back. So uh, there are some, you know, maybe some questions at positions that they thought if, if this were a normal season, they'd know a little bit more about who their number one wideout would be, who their potential lockdown corner would be. You know, it might take a little time to, to answer those. And then at the quarterback position, 
you know, we expected uh, Dylan McCaffrey, or at least I did, I expected him to be the starter coming into this year. We found out just a few weeks ago uh, that he had entered the transfer portal. Had apparently lost that job to Joe Milton, who you know we've we've seen a little bit, but McCaffrey was really the number two to Shea Patterson and, and was the guy that Jim Harbaugh uh, last year during the preseason was talking about how he wanted to get involved in the offense. So a little bit of a surprise, uh, you know, during the offseason to learn that Milton had really kind of taken control of this job. So, uh, you know, we want to see what's the second year for uh, the, the new offense there. Under Gaddis, you know what's it what's it going to look like? Are they going to be able to take a step forward? It see it definitely got better over the the course of last season, but now you've got you know a, a new top target, a new uh, quarterback, and four new starters on the offensive line. So a lot of questions for Michigan offensively. I think they're going to play pretty good uh, defense, but we've got kind of a, a strength versus strength and weakness versus weakness here. So really interested to see how that plays out. Uh, our our you know, matchups, we think that uh, Michigan's got an edge in, uh, let's see, I just lost my place. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, we think that Michigan has an edge uh, in, you know, roster strength overall, but, uh, you know, the, the head coach is as much as, you know, Jim Harbaugh uh, gets gets a, a lot of flack, especially from Xavier and, and you too, Scott. Uh, mm-hmm. they, they, you know, Michigan lines up as far as our coaching ratings, having the edge in all of those. So, you know, do we trust those guys to get uh, young, inexperienced players up to the level? Or is P.J. Fleck and, and his coaching staff a little, you know, lower rated? Or are they going to do a better job of that? So interested to see how that all plays out. Numbers, as far as that goes. Uh, we've got, they all line up, all three, all three agree. There's not a huge gap between the three point spread that that's out in the market right now. Uh, but it's pretty clear that we think Michigan should be favored by more than that. So, uh, stats only six is our, is our projected point spread a little more than six, uh, talent edge. We've got Michigan by eight and a half. Uh, so that's, that's pretty clear. Uh, put it all together, and our official projection is is tighter because a lot of you know uh, ratings that that Minnesota put together on offense last year really helped boost uh, their overall performance. But uh, we're at, we're at right about four and a half, so uh, not a a huge gap. But all three of those do line up, and, and so we feel pretty pretty good about that. I, I do like Michigan in this game. I think they'll be able to go on the road and win, and and I think that. Uh, you know, I, I feel better about this one, oddly enough, than, than I do on uh, a lot of the ones that we talk about each week. Not sure if that's a good thing or not. That didn't really work out for me last <laughs> week. But uh, Michigan 31 and, and Minnesota 28, a little bit higher scoring probably than we would expect. But um, that that's what our, you know, that's what our projection spit out for us. All right. Get him, Xavier. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Row the boat. Row the boat. Yes. This is Minnesota's game to lose for me. I, I really like Minnesota here. One, I think Michigan is going to struggle to stop Rashad Bateman. Uh, this guy is a bona fide first-round draft pick. He has all the tools. He has the size, the speed, the hands, the route running. Put it all together, and this is what this is one of my favorite receivers in college football. I like Tana Morgan. I think he's going to get better in year two or either year two or year three under that offense, and I really think that. That is going to what make this difference in this ball game. I really like 
the continuity that they have offensively. You know, Ibrahim has been there for a while. Bateman has been there for a while. Morgan has been there for a while. Their offensive line has better continuity, in my opinion. And I think Michigan's going to start slow. You know, we, we've seen offenses with young quarterbacks this year start slow. Even young quarterbacks that may be in year two, shout out to Sam Howell, start slow. Even in a year where they did not have an allotted offseason to really get their feet under them. And it doesn't make it any better that the first game for a, you know, a first time starter is prime time when, you know, you're going to, this is it. This is the biggest game of this week uh, coming up defensively. I'm really concerned about the back end for Michigan. Uh, you talked about it, Nick, them losing guys that opted out and decided to go ahead and leave. I'm really excited to see their defense. I think their front seven might be one of the best in the country, but I'm really worried about that back four to see what they do against an offense that's really going to stretch them out and make and make it look their, like their depth needs to play to the top of their game. When you play four wide, when you play five wide, the number one corner doesn't necessarily matter. It's the three, the four, and the five. I mean, look at what happened with Georgia and Alabama this weekend. That's exactly what they did. They made sure that the third and fourth corner had to be on, you know, their third or fourth receiver for Alabama, which was amazing. Now, Minnesota might not have that kind of depth, but they do have an offense that they're going to spread the football around. They're going to make sure that they have mismatches offensively. And even guarding Ibrahim uh, out the backfield might be a problem at times for them throughout this ballgame. I'm going to go with P.J. Fleck here. Minnesota's going to win this ball game. Sorry, Michigan fans. You're going to start off with a loss this year, and we're going to have to hear about all the hardball talk come Monday. But I really like Minnesota as a team in the Big Ten this year. I think that they're the third best team in this conference behind Ohio State and Penn State. They have an opportunity to compete for that third spot. I think they showed that on Saturday with the win over Michigan. Yeah, I I, I, I... I got to pick. I got to pick against yes. Michigan. Yes. I, I got to row the boat. Yes. I think I yes. think if there's one thing Fleck can do, it is inspire guys before the game. So uh, I think he's going to have those guys rowdy, uh, pumped up, ready to go. You know, uh, Minnesota faced a lot of stuff in the offseason as well that uh, possibly could bring them together. So I think I got to I got to go with uh, the Gophers in this one. So uh, and it would be great to see. I would absolutely love it. But uh, Xavier, you're up to pick a second game. What do you got? Well, Nick kind of took mine. So I'm going <laughs> to go with <laughs> I'm going to go with another big game. And I think that this might be the dagger in, in the heart of this team season. We're going to go South Carolina at LSU. Um, this is a game I'm really excited to watch because for me, LSU got off last week. By not having to play Florida, uh, that team they, they they escaped a loss by you know by rule of COVID. Um, I, I really thought that last week was going to be a really bad matchup for them. Obviously, their secondary has been abysmal this year, and it doesn't it doesn't it's not a good thing to play Kyle Trask, who's been one of the hottest quarterbacks in college football that week, especially pissed off after losing game in Texas A&M, which they probably feel like they shouldn't have lost. Uh, but this week, they have South Carolina, a team coming off of a huge victory over Auburn at home. And I really want to see if LSU has fixed the things that they need to fix defensively. And Orgeron said it. They're going to simplify the defense. They're going to make sure that these corners know where their position is, know what to do. They better because this, this defense has looked bad against bad teams. Missouri is not a good ball club. And Missouri looked like, you know, one of the best teams in the one of the best offenses in the country when they played against him. Uh, I think that Miles Brennan, although it's, it says here that he's questionable slash doubtful, I think he'll play. I think that he's uh, I think he's slated to play. I'm not mistaken. No, but he's not. He's not. not. Uh, no, no, no. Uh, they, they said that uh, Coach O said that I'm not sure if Miles is going to be able to go on Saturday. So it sounds like it's not very good. 
They'll give him a quarter zone shot. He'll play. Um, <laughs> Nick, you're muted. But I, I, I really like the I really like South Carolina off of the back of this win. I think they figured out a lot of things offensively that they struggled in at the beginning of the season. You know, they really did take Tennessee to the wire game one, and defensively they looked like they figured it out. South Carolina and Will Muschamp defensively they always seem like they have it. Offensively is always my biggest worry. But hey, you know how you fix an offense? You play a team whose secondary leaves gaping holes in the middle of the field. Perfect, perfect remedy. Um, I really like South Carolina from a defensive point of view as well, especially if Miles Brennan cannot go. I want to see what LSU can do on the ground. They have not been able to run the football well this year. Passing-wise, they've been really, really good. However, if their starting quarterback cannot go, especially with how well South Carolina secondary played last week, they're going to take that confidence in this week, and they're going to force John Emery to beat them. Once again, this is another opportunity for J.C. Horn to boost his draft stock, playing Seth Williams last week. Now you've got Terrence, uh, Terrence Marshall this week. It's a good opportunity for him as well. I want to pick South Carolina. I really do. Uh, but I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to go with LSU. I'm going to go with the home team here. I think that's going to help. I'm also going to go with the team that's had mo- multiple weeks to prepare for this ball game. And I really think that they fixed it. I'm, I, I like Ed Orgeron. I'm hoping that they fixed it by simplifying it. So cover two, man, and quarters. That's probably all that they talked about all week. No way yeah, that busted coverages. The spread in this game is LSU by six, uh, lowered by a point. It opened up at seven, and okay. then 55 and a half is the over, Nick. How do you see this LSU and South Carolina game playing out? This is a really interesting one. It is. It is. And it, it was a little off my radar, but, you know, the, the quarterback situation makes it even more interesting. You know, it, it, it seems that we're going to get – a true freshman starter for LSU. I'm, I'm sure Miles Brennan would love to play. I'm sure uh, Ed O'Dron would love to have him, but he's got a torn abdominal muscle, which is sounds incredibly painful to me, and and it's you know not not something that's going to be very easy for him to play through. He did play hurt, you know, after he, he tore it, finished the game last week, but um, or you know two two weeks ago, but uh, yeah, it it. it doesn't sound good to, to see him. And, and so we did remove him from uh, the projection and, and even without Miles Brennan, who is a, you know, high eighties rated player uh, is going to be giving it over to uh, a, a true freshman, either Max Johnson or TJ Finley, who are both under 80. So a pretty big drop off. They actually, you know, LSU with Miles Brennan is a top 25 quarterback unit, according to our numbers without him, they rank 93rd. So it's it's a big loss, you know, even though Brennan hasn't started a lot. Uh, he, he's, you know, well-respected according to our numbers for uh, a first-year starter, and, and he will be a, you know, really, really missed uh, in this game. So um, that, that said, <laughs> all of that said, and as bad as LSU has been, especially defensively, I mean, they rank 55th in defensive team performance, and, and that seems honestly a little bit high. You might think that they would be, you know, mid 60s pushing 70 out of the 77 teams that have played. But uh, Xavier mentioned it, and, and I agree that uh, last week, getting the game, having the game canceled against uh, Florida probably was a bit of a, a blessing in disguise. I, I think it, it allowed a little extra time for them to uh, sort of go back to the drawing board a little bit to simplify some things defensively and a, a matchup against South Carolina 
even though they're coming off a big win over a ranked opponent, very emotional win, probably a, a much better matchup, a, a team that your defense can hopefully look to get right uh, against South Carolina. Florida was going to be another just, uh, you know, really, really difficult test. South Carolina is looking improved uh, and, and is running the ball well uh, with Frank Harris and, and you know, Colin Hill uh, orchestrating Mike Bobo's offense is good. Shai Smith has had some incredible catches this year. But I, I think that, you know, LSU's uh, talent on defense, they've still got a big edge there. Uh, they, you know, and, and you just have to show hope. up. Is that talent going to show up? Ever? That's the question. <laughs> my, my hope, I guess. And, and, uh, you know, sort of in a, in a perfect world, the, the buy, the, the, the extra week off, hopefully we'll get them, you know, on the same page schematically, get, get that sort of shored up. And, and hopefully we, we won't know until we see it, but, uh, you know, they're still top five defense as far as talent and our uh, our talent numbers go and they've been wholly underperforming that of course but the 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 talent is there and so i i think if it's going to happen we'll see it this week how about that so uh, i think it's a, a good opportunity uh for that to happen and then you know defensively south carolina pretty good. I mean, J.C. Horn had a, a huge game last week. Will Muschamp is well known as a, a somewhat of a, a defensive mastermind. They've built a, a good bit of talent on that side of the football. They, they've been able to rush the passer a bit. Israel McQuamu is, is also a, a you know future pro. Uh, he has been in and out of the lineup because of injuries, but he was, I think, very close to playing last week. Uh, so hopefully he'll be back in, in this one. So tougher there, especially for a true freshman, but they do have a lot of uh, talent in the backfield. Hopefully they can rely on a little bit. And then, you know, high-end receivers, Terrace Marshall, hopefully he'll be able to to go this week and, and have a uh, another great performance as well. So I, I don't have supreme confidence in it, but our numbers do like LSU, even taking Brennan out of the mix. Uh, our stat projection, which doesn't you know, know that Brennan's gone, has it in double digits. 11.8 is our projection there. Our talent edge model does have Brennan out. That one is is uh, closer at six and a half, uh, but still says, you know, LSU has a big talent edge and, and defense is doing a lot of work with that number. But then our official projection, when we put it all together, that number actually grows a little bit. It's it's very close to nine. So I would, I would prefer to have Miles Brennan, of course, but right. – uh, you know, even without him on paper, and it hasn't worked out this way on the field quite yet, but on paper, LSU is the better team. And, and I think if we, you know, in the preseason, you said LSU was going to be favored by six against South Carolina. I mean, we would be running to, to yeah. make that bet. So uh, let, let's hope that some of the problems that we've seen the first couple of weeks can work themselves out. Uh, and, and LSU, you know, at least as far as our numbers go, are, are hoping that, that they do get that fixed and the offense will be able to do just enough and the defense takes a step forward and, uh, you know, is able to, to win and cover. We've got it. Uh, 33-24 is our final score. Uh, yeah, and just as we're recording this, LSU head coach Ed Orgeron said it's unlikely that Miles Brennan is going to play this weekend. So uh, making it a little bit uh, better in South Carolina's favor but uh you know like nick said 
with the even without Brennan, he's still going to favor uh, LSU. Now, the last game I, I want to pick here, and it this is perplexing me, and I don't know where to go with it. So, Nick, uh, I'm I'm going to be excited to hear what you have to say about this. And Xavier, I'm not not a hundred percent sure where you're going to go on this one either. But Notre Dame is on the road against Pitt. Uh, terrible offensive showing for them last week against Louisville. Pitt has a great defense, but this game actually has uh, opened up after um, you know starting at Notre Dame minus eight. It has now moved to Notre Dame minus ten and a half or eleven on most uh, uh, books, and forty three and a half to forty three is the over in this one. So, how do you see Notre Dame going on the road against Pittsburgh playing out, Nick? This was a, a surprise to me. Uh, each, each week, I sit down and, and uh, go through by hand. I'm 100 years old. And, and so uh, I have my legal pad and, and my pen, and I go through and, and jot down all the numbers and see how they line up and compare the, the point spreads and, and things like that uh, for, for every FBS versus FBS game. And I've, I've learned, you know, by doing that each week and doing it the last three years, sort of how our numbers react in certain situations. I know our talent edges really favor underdogs more often than not, just because, you know, their, their talent is, is the most important factor, but it's not the only factor. And, and you know, sometimes uh, things can, can sort of get blown out of, of proportion from just a, a talent standpoint. I understand those numbers are, are pretty close. Uh, our stats projection model doesn't always favor underdogs, but it, it does maybe a little bit more than than our official model, uh, which you know is a little bit more you know closer to 50-50 as to you know can a, a uh, heavy favorite cover like Ohio State? You know we we did say that they would cover. We do say that Clemson, believe it or not, this week Clemson minus forty six. We're on Clemson. We're, we're at Clemson over 50. So, you know, our, our official model has a little bit more, it's a little bit more involved. It does have uh, sort of those, those longer tails where we can get to uh, some bigger point spreads. And, and so we're not always leaning toward the underdog, which uh, there, there is a lean for the most part in our talent edge and our stat projection. So it surprised me when I saw a double digit, Point spread. This officially, when we published our, our picks this week, was 10 and a half, Notre Dame favored, on the road. And despite that, all of our numbers lined up with Notre Dame. Uh, we've got stats only model, Notre Dame by 11 and a half. Talent Edge has Notre Dame by 11. And then the official model, which, like I said, is, is a little more likely to go uh, for a, a favorite. Uh, has Notre Dame by 18, which is a, a pretty, you know, a touchdown more than what the uh, market said at the time. And and you had mentioned, of course, that had already moved a couple of points. So that surprised me. Uh, you know, Notre Dame looked very, very shaky last week, especially on offense. Uh, but they've been consistently a top 10 team in our power rankings. And really, they've they've actually gotten better and better each week. They're now all the way up to number four. Uh, they passed Georgia, you know, this week, believe it or not, based on, on beating uh, Louisville. So, uh, uh, yeah, I know, a little bit of a surprise, but Notre Dame now is, is third 
in defensive team performance. They are seventh in offensive team performance. They are second in overall team performance. So on the field this year, according to our numbers, uh, they they have uh, played like the, the second best team uh, in college football behind Clemson. So not everyone may agree with that. You know, we, we, we do look at a, a particular uh, set of numbers uh, things like EPA per play, things like you know yards per play, uh, early down performance, uh, success rate, things like that, and we throw it all into a formula. And you know when it spit it out, it had Notre Dame as, as the second best team as far as team performance so far this year. So you know I I understand that there are some arguments that could be made against that, but. Uh, our numbers really, really like Notre Dame, and, you know, long story short. And Pitt, I feel like we've had a healthy uh, respect for Pitt this year. Yeah. We've also really kind of pegged them pretty well. We were on uh, NC State last uh, when they played Pitt. NC State won that game up outright. We were on Boston College, and Boston College beat Pitt Uh uh, outright. So, you know, I feel like we've had a, a decent read on Pitt this year. So, you know, I, I, I it was a surprise to me, but because of the, the behavior of uh, how our numbers usually act, to have a, uh, you know, uh, have them all three line up on a road favorite like Notre Dame probably means that they're really, really, uh, you know, strong on Notre Dame. This week, and and that did you know? Yes, uh, that does include Kenny Pickett as questionable. So as Xavier mentioned earlier, this game it sounded like maybe he'd be on an extended period of time. Or our, our currently the way our numbers project it, there's about a fifty percent chance that he would play. If he doesn't, then that number would get even worse. So you know, this yeah. is a this is a pretty uh, you know this is a the, about as good of a a number as uh, a pit could hope for. Uh, in our official projection. So uh, anyway, so, so I, I was surprised, but our numbers are clear that uh, we're on Notre Dame, all three line up uh, surprisingly. So, and, and the official projection is, is shows a pretty big edge. We, we think uh, Notre Dame could win this game 35, 17, you know, 35 points against a good pit defense when they only scored 12 against Louisville last week. Doesn't seem maybe likely, but you know, maybe we shouldn't read, too much into just last week either but uh this this was a, a good pick this was a game i wasn't sure we would spend a lot of time talking about but i do think it's pretty interesting sort of how the numbers uh you know came out this week yeah and i think we've seen two impressive games and two uh non-impressive games from notre dame i mean the opener against duke they did win 27 to 13 they didn't look very impressive uh, in that game, I mean, Kyron Williams did, but I, I think the rest of it them looked okay. But th that's kind of that's the opener coming off of no practices and COVID and all that stuff are very limited practices, obviously. Uh, but they they pounded South Florida into the ground, fifty-two zip, and I think South Florida is a little bit better than we expected them to be uh, coming into the year. And they beat Florida State forty-two to twenty-six, and Florida State has played better at least last week, beating UNC than we thought they were. Uh, this game against Louisville was bad. Uh, to, only putting up 12 points. Hold on, Xavier. We'll get in a second. <laughs> He's doing all the motions here. He's going through the whole thing. Um, that I, I don't I don't know that I would say that they're the second best team in the country. I know that that's what the numbers say, but they have looked 
they, they've kind of Jekyll and Hyde themselves where we like if they beat Pitt, I'm not going to be surprised at all. But if Pitt squeaks out a win here, I don't think I'd be shocked by that either. That's why I picked this game. So, Xavier, uh, go ahead and dive in on this game and why hey. you hate Notre Dame so much. <laughs> it's not that I hate Notre Dame. It's that I can't. Well, first, Nick threw me for an absolute loop saying that they, by, according to the numbers, are the second team, second best team in the country. I doubt. Let me, real, real, I will try to do this as quick as I possibly can. I, I hate to, to stop your momentum because I know you're getting you're getting lathered up and ready to go. Uh, but so so we do try to look at some you know some some advanced uh, statistics that not everybody is familiar with. Not everybody may have a lot of faith in that. That's understandable. But uh, Notre Dame so far this year in EPA per play margin is fifth in the country. Uh, that that's when you account for their offense and their defense combined. Uh, that that number in itself is a pretty strong indicator of, of overall team strength. They rank offensively sixth in success rate, and these numbers do filter out garbage time and are only against FBS opponents. Uh, they rank fourth in the country in EPA per rushing attempt uh, offensively. So, you know, it's, it's the numbers haven't always been there in some statistics, you know, uh, traditional uh, numbers, but when you look a little bit deeper in the box score, you know, success rate defensively fifth in the country, uh, they are just consistently top 10, uh, top five in, in some of these things, you know, EPA per pass defensively 15th in, you know, some situational uh, numbers. They're, they're, you know, performing uh, quite well in, in uh, some numbers as far as, uh, you know, early downs and, and, and third downs, not as good, but, uh, you know, they're, they're really good against the run, you know, on first down and second down, things like that. So it, it's, it's not always evident when we see them on the screen, but, you know, according to a, a little bit sort of those second layer numbers, I don't know. I don't know if I trust them either, but that's what they say. So. All right. Back to you. <laughs> um, I'm good. I, I think Pittsburgh has shown that their defense is really good. That's first and foremost. Last week, even if losing to Miami 31-19, to they were able to intercept De'Ara King twice. And with the backup quarterback, made that a game for a large part, a large portion of the game until obviously the third quarter where Miami was kind of able to run away with it a little bit. Uh, but Pittsburgh still had opportunities. Once again, I think if Kenny Pickett had a played last week, they may have had an opportunity to upset Miami. I think with uh, Joey Yellen in the as their starting quarterback, it really hampered the offense, uh, and they really couldn't get, ever get anything going. Obviously, him going 22 or 46 doesn't help either, but it really just seemed that they, he, they couldn't get anything going through the ground or the air um, after the second, after the third quarter, excuse me. With Kenny Pickett possibly being back this week, I think that really may, possibly adds to what Pittsburgh gives you all offensively. Defensively, once again, they're one of the best teams in the country defensively, uh, and they continue to show that week in and week out. And I really don't know what I'm going to get from Notre Dame this week. Uh, am I going to get an inspired team that obviously played like a days against a team that I think that they underestimated it a little bit um, in Louisville? Or am I going to get a team that, once again, for the second week in a row, plays like a days I mean, if we really break down the last two weeks of Notre Dame football, they played a lackadaisical first half against Florida State. Obviously, they turned that around and in, ended in, in that game in a blowout, but that game was rather close going into halftime. And the week, and then last week, obviously, against Louisville, they didn't play well either um, up until, you know, at all. You know, Ian Book only threw for 106 yards. The running game has been consistent all year, but it's really come down to whether or not Ian Book can play consistently throughout the ball game, whether or not that they can get a big score 
you know, or, or if they can pull away or not. And that's really where I'm concerned. I don't know how good Ian Book is going to be against a pit defense that's going to make him be an excellent pocket passer. And they're also not going to let him use his legs as much as he was able to last week. I'm not going to pick Pitt in the upset. I'm not crazy. But don't be surprised if this is a game that, just like last week, goes into the fourth quarter with Notre Dame maybe only up by three, only up by six. And, and it's one of those games that Pittsburgh forces you to play. You know, the, the, they're going to s- slow the pace down. They're going to make sure that Notre Dame doesn't hit them for big plays. And they're going to make sure that if Notre Dame scores, they're going to have to do 75 yards, 11 play drives that I don't think Notre Dame is capable of doing consistently throughout a game. They have yet to show it all season, barring the South Florida game. So for me, this is one of those games for Notre Dame. Once again, that's a barometer for me. I don't think Notre Dame's one of the best teams in the country. I think they'll be found out later on this year. Kind of like Miami, I think that they're one of the top 25 teams in the country. But in that top five, the top eight bracket, I don't know if I can put them there confidently. Uh, and, and this is one of those games, again, against a really good defense that Ian Book has got to show me. He is going to be the guy for Notre Dame this year for me to even give them any sniff at a national championship or college football playoff berth. He has yet to show me that this year. This is a good defense, Ian. I'm really hoping that he shows me and makes that next step because he has not had good games at all this year. He's had He has had two games where he's thrown under 200 yards. Uh, He has yet to have a game throw over 270 yards, throw for 300 yards. So I'm really looking forward to Ian Book possibly shutting me up, as multiple other quarterbacks have done this year, uh, and really have a good game against a good Pittsburgh defense. But don't be surprised if it doesn't happen. Yeah, this game is all over the place. I mean, Book, you know, is uh, up and down with his performance. Cunningham has been super, uh, or Cunningham. Uh, Yellen is banged up right now, and uh, not Yellen. Pickett's banged up, so we might see Yellen. Uh, I can't speak at all right now. But, uh, yeah, I, th- this game is going to be, it's going to be a weird one to watch. And it's it was surprising to me the most that it started at minus eight, and then the, the money went towards uh, Notre Dame surprisingly and that's why the, the line got a little bit bigger but uh, that's it for the games Nick tell us about uh, the all three agreed this week yeah uh, another long list maybe a little too long but hopefully it'll help uh, get us you know build back our, our uh, ground that we lost a little last week so uh, a couple of big games that we didn't really dive into actually our numbers uh, line up on the other two ranked versus ranked matchups, which our numbers have traditionally done very, very well over the last three years. That's been one of our uh, highest performing, you know, subgroups that that we look at. We're on NC State plus sixteen and a half. That surprised me. I, I was surprised actually that that line is as big as it is. Uh, but you know, our numbers have been you know, have a good read on NC State so far this year. We've been on them a lot, and, and they're 4-1 with a few, you know, outright upsets. So uh, hopefully that will continue. We're also on Cincinnati plus 2.5 against SMU. Uh, that is one I feel a little less uh, confident in because Cincinnati, you know, last week we talked about how, you know, what did Vegas know that we didn't know? Why were they only favored against Tulsa uh, by three. It turns out it was a, a COVID outbreak that, uh, you know, Cincinnati was dealing with. We'll see if that is, you know, carrying over into this game as well. Uh, certainly, you know, uh, with all of these, there's, you know, a, a bit of a concern that there could be uh, something like that lining up. But um, our numbers see Cincinnati winning this game outright. So, uh, feel decent about that. Hopefully, they're able to to put out a, a pretty close to full health, uh, 
you know unit out there and and we'll be able to, to win that one quickly through the rest Arkansas State plus 13 on on Thursday night we actually have Arkansas State with a slight talent edge in that game over App State uh USF plus 10 and a half feel less good about that that one's a lot closer but uh they all line up there Auburn, we were on Auburn last week, minus three against South Carolina. Obviously, that did not work out, but we are on them this week uh, against Ole Miss. Uh, Oklahoma, minus six and a half against TCU on the road. TCU is always capable of knocking off uh, any team, but Oklahoma probably uh, we would expect to be closer to a double-digit favorite. Believe it or not, we're on UTEP for maybe the first time ever. UTEP plus 14 and a half this week. Georgia Southern. Uh, if I were to pick a game that I feel the best about that, you know, if I were to do best bet, stone cold lock of the week, what have you, it's Georgia Southern. Now, that probably means this game will lose, but uh, we have Georgia Southern that should be favored over a ranked Coastal Carolina team, uh, is the more talented team on paper. Our stats think that Georgia Southern, uh, Southern should be favored. So, you know, there's a lot of love out there for Coastal Carolina, and they've been so much fun to watch this year. But our numbers are think this is the, the biggest mismatch of the week or, or the biggest edge that we've got. So we've certainly been wrong before on those, but – uh, Georgia Southern I, I, is the best I feel about any game this week. Uh, Florida State plus five, we mentioned. Tulane plus 19 and a half against UCF. Our numbers usually love UCF, but all three line up on Tulane uh, this week. FAU plus 17. Uh, we mentioned Notre Dame minus 10 and a half. The second best game uh, aside from uh, Georgia Southern is Middle Tennessee plus three. There's a little bit of buzz for Rice. They finished last year strong. They haven't played this year, and I was going through and updating the team profiles, and Rice is missing, I think, three projected starters in the secondary, uh, which was a bit of a surprise, but our numbers think that Middle Tennessee should be favored in all three projections, and, and so we're getting Middle Tennessee plus three. So I feel pretty good about that one as well. Again, might not play out that way. Rice has improved a lot over the last couple of years, but uh, we're, we're pretty strong on Middle Tennessee there. LSU minus six, we mentioned Michigan minus three, we mentioned. Uh, and then this one went a little bit back and forth. When we first published it, we were on Maryland plus 11, but uh, I went in and, and made a couple of uh, changes uh, to uh, some some uh, depth chart information that I got and, and that actually flipped that one. So I have taken that off the list. Uh, not all three line up on Maryland, but they're really, really close to being uh, to having a talent edge. So I, I feel like Maryland should be able to cover double digits against Northwestern, but that one's not necessarily official this week. All right. Well, that is going to wrap it up for CFB Winning Edge this week. So if you would, please follow us on the Twitter at Bogman Sports, at CFB Winning Edge for Nick, at Xavier underscore Trischar, I-C-H-E for Xavier. And uh, I hope you guys win all your bets, and we will see you next week. Take it easy, everybody. You can support this podcast on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash Edge and pledge as little as $5 per month to support the show and receive access to written content each week, including our matchup graphics, talent edge projections, and winners, all published before the podcast each week.